Hello, I'm Dave Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. A veritable terminator of comic book podcasting, Graham McMillan and I have survived stomach flu, the tech apocalypse, and the first two issues of The Age of Ultron in order to talk to you, our listeners. Clocking in at almost an hour and 45 minutes of mostly unblemished four-color, off-color speak, this podcast today has in-depth discussions on the aforementioned Age of Ultron, X-Men, both all-new and uncanny, comic book sales analyses, Before Watchmen, the Marvel 700 promotion, trash-talking Giant Man, and the return of the Techpocalypse. Full, although somewhat skimpy this week, show notes are available over at SavageCritic.com, and as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Oh my god, could this actually be working? First off, this is amazing. First now that I said that, something <laughs> horrible is going to happen, right? <laughs> Welcome to the modern curse of self-consciousness, Graham. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It will be going modern, wrong any second. Really? I think we've done this many, many times. I, th- I think this is human nature. It's human nature is to worry about Skype uh, not behaving with our computers. No, it's to worry about thinking, is this working out? And then immediately think, well, now that I've thought that, I've cursed <laughs> it. Superstition. As Stevie Wonder once so poignantly sang. <laughs> indeed, indeed, he poignantly did. Ah, that's it. With, with the puppets around them, that's still. I look back at that still, and I'm like, those kids in the 70s had no fucking idea how lucky they were. It's true. It's true. You were just able to watch that stuff, and you had no idea. And for that matter, you're not really sure, looking back, that that the people uh, putting on the shows really knew what they had while they were doing it for that matter as well oh yeah it's, it's, it's kind of amazing but you've seen the stevie wonder thing right you've seen the stevie wonder performance on sesame street I... is it on sesame street yeah he does superstition on sesame street and it's this amazing live performance i mean really just you watch it and you're like this is jaw-dropping it's stevie wonder at the you know at the height of his powers right doing fucking superstition on sesame streets and it's like you know, the Sesame Street kids are there, and the cast are there, and I think at one point, like, they show some, like, Oscar the Grouch mm-hmm. jamming out. It's just amazing. <laughs> I don't think I have seen that then. That's really funny. Because I'm like, did they, like, dress it up with some sort of, I was very much thinking of the Muppet Show sort of sketch thing. Like, I'm like, no, no, it it's like a... straight, it's a straight performance of wow. Superstition that that's... is just jaw-droppingly good. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, so... Uh, uh, speaking of jaw dropping, um, how how was that food poisoning? It wasn't actually food poisoning. Was it stomach flu? I yeah, I think it was because I, it lasted a while. Yeah, that's kind of because uh, you know wondered. food poisoning pretty much is you know you have it, you're sick, you're done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was <laughs> this was like four days of hell. Oh God, yeah. Then it sounds um, like you got that stomach flu that's going around. Yeah, th- this this was... I, at one point, I almost sent you a message being like, well, now I know what they mean by explosive diarrhea. <laughs> it, like, I mean, it really was. The whole... It was exactly how much does my body hate me mm-hmm. and is trying to get back at me. Yeah. I, I, there are things... I mean, looking back on it, I'm kind of like, wow. Uh, at no point did I realize how sick it was, mm-hmm. but it was more afterwards. I was like, well, if I'm still feeling terrible... Mm-hmm. But I also feel 100% better than I did yesterday. Right. I must have been terrible yesterday. <laughs> but at no point was I really like, I feel terrible, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, no, it does. It, it sounds like another... It's just all going to be about the conundrums of human consciousness today, Graham, if at least the first 
I don't know, three minutes and 20 <laughs> seconds of our phone call or anything to go by. But, um, yeah, it was bad. Apparently, the Thursday nights, and I, I recall this not at all, mm-hmm. but apparently Thursday night I had a conversation with Kate because at one point in bed she became concerned that I was dying. <laughs> really? Because I was, I was sweating so much that I'd sweated through all of my clothes and the pillow. Oh, yeah, that's not a good sign. Um, and apparently I was out of me and I was taking off my clothes and being like, I'm really warm and I'm really cold at the same time. <laughs> I don't remember this at all. <laughs> okay, well, there's two ironic things here. One, uh, amazingly enough, you dropped out in the middle of that sentence. Well, that, uh, that's perfectly fine. You, you didn't miss anything other than me explaining that I was very warm and very cold and stripping and sweating at the same time. That part sounds all awesome. Let's just say. Let's just say. That part I did hear, and I feel sorry for you, and it is, does actually worry me that perhaps your fever was a bit, uh, just a, an eensy bit too high. You know... Uh, the next day, I had no fever. Like, that was clearly a breaking. Yeah, was it breaking, but holy smokes, that sounds that sounds really bad. <laughs> and the fact that you don't really remember it either is also kind of... Ooh, well, um, I'm also completely okay with that, because I think I'd rather not remember and not have it. <laughs> like, I've been entirely, completely conscious through it. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Which is great, because that's one of those things that you know, at least for me, retroactively, I'm always glad about. But like looking forward, the idea that something horrible is going to happen to me and I'm not even going to remember or be there for it seems awful, you know? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that afterwards you're like, oh, so that was terrible, but Lisa's done. Right, right. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. So on last Thursday when I, was, I got in contact with you, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do the podcast. It was... That day was actually remarkably busy for me mm-hmm. before I got sick. I was going to do the podcast. I was going to have dinner with friends. Uh, and it wasn't just a normal dinner. A friend in Portland is setting up a non-profit. Oh, wow. And she had a restaurant give 10% of the entire night's take to her. Oh, wow. To help her set up a non-profit. So I was going to, like, we were taking friends to that. Right. And then I couldn't go. And I was like, oh, God, it's, you know, I'm letting everyone down. This is terrible. You know, maybe I'm not that sick. And then, you know, by Saturday, I was like, I was really sick. That's that. I'm glad that I was really sick. Mm-hmm. And I didn't just, like, put everything off because I was kind of sick. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I, I, I earned putting everything off. <laughs> I was really sick. Man, I got to tell you, Graham, once again, I won't bore the listeners with uh, the, just the whole goofus and gallant nature. Uh, but my problem is usually when I take a day off because I'm sick, I'm always annoyed that I'm too sick. You know what I mean? Like, I never get to be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm not feeling all right. I'm going to call in sick. And I'm always in the back of my head. It's like, this is great. I won't be you know, infecting my other coworkers. And then I'll just get to sit around all day in my, you know, jam jams and watch, you know, the Transformers movie or something like that. And instead, it's always like, I'm fucking wretched. I have no attention span. Like, all the cool shit that I want to do and I want to watch is more or less forgotten as I just sort of stare up at the ceiling. So I'm always like... Oh, that that was pretty much me as well. On the Friday... uh... Laura actually said from Wired, she was like, you know, if there's stuff you need to do that's more long-term, mm-hmm. then you don't actually have to write anything for today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is great. I don't have a daily deadline for Wired. I did for other things. <laughs> daily deadline for Wired? That's spectacular. Vacation. And then, like, just lay in my bed going, I can't think straight. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, exactly, exactly. But like I said, you're like, ooh, thank goodness I was really that sick. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's, I'm, I always regret the fact that I was anywhere sick enough to keep me from like, oh, yeah, just go to the movies and blah, 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 blah. I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's a young man sick and I just don't get to be it anymore, so, I don't know. Oh, no, I totally remember uh, in younger days. Mm Mm-hmm. The time where you'd be like kind of sick, mm-hmm. like this is especially when you're a kid, like when you're really young. Oh yeah, you're like this is fucking awesome. <laughs> I get to watch TV and lie in bed all day. This is much better than going to school. It's true. It's true. Unless you get like really, really crazily, stupidly sick, being sick when you're a kid is pretty much just awesome. It's probably just to lay the groundwork of positive associations so that when you get older and you get sick you actually behave instead of being a jerk you know it's true but no th- this was like uh, on the Thursday I've, have you ever had appendicitis no I never have although it's one of those things that I worry about since I still have the appendix in there uh, I had my appendix out got at this point like 20 years ago um, and it was like an emergency appendectomy Mm-hmm. Like God, what, right. one night I was fine, like then, or rather one day I was fine. Then that night I was like weeping over the toilet and just vomiting until there's nothing left inside me. And the next day I had an emergency operation. It was Jesus. one of literally like the doctor was like, "Get this man to the ER right now." Right. Was was actually said. Wow. Um, but it felt like that on the Thursday. Ooh. So the point where Kate and I are both like, "You can't regrow an appendix." <laughs> 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 Good news, Mr. McMillan. Another one of your organs has become vestigial and then gone poisonous on you. It's like, good news. You've grown an appendix, Mike, which is amazing for science. Have you been on the cleanse? I think it might be the cleanse. We have Uh, shown some people who actually regrow their appendix if they uh, just, you know, manage to not eat enough processed wheat. Lizard is based on real science. Um, yeah, it was, but it, it was that like ridiculous. It was that just, oh god, my body hates me. And then, but it, the plus side is like I'm still not one hundred percent. I'm like ninety nine. But honestly, every time I've gone to the toilet this week, I've been like, cross my fingers, please, please, <laughs> please. Oh, that went fine. Oh, yeah, that is. Oh, poor Graham. That is but, just terrible. Uh, but it was, you know, it's so because now I'm just like, this is great. I can eat shit. This is really, really good. Because, you know, after three days of just having, you know, fucking oh, know. salty crackers or whatever, you're like, yeah. I would kill a man for chocolate. It's true. You have some I, chocolate. I keep it down, but I would kill someone for it. And, and especially, especially something sweet like that. It's true. I remember being, like, kind of crazily sick the last time when I had just the most minor touches of stomach flu. And I did not have any appetite for, like, two or three days. But the food I had afterwards, because it was like, I don't know, it's like I just wanted some ice cream or something. And it really was, like, just so appallingly satisfying, you know. It's, it's hilarious. And then you have it, and you're like, this is great. So, for example, last night I had a pizza. Mm-hmm. And it, like, it was a good pizza, but it was simultaneously the greatest pizza in the world. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It is... Oh, Lord. Um, well, hey, speaking of the greatest pizza of the world, um, should we start talking about comics? This week? <laughs> We've got like two yeah. weeks of comics to catch up on, so, and especially two weeks of comics news, right? Uh, sure, if you can think about the comics news. What I was going to say is the weird thing is both last week and this week, mm-hmm. there's been nothing I've wanted to buy at the store. 
Mm-hmm. It's re- really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In part because DC are sending me comps and mm-hmm. like they have sent me the couple of things that I'd want to buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, like I've honestly just been looking lists and I'm like, yeah, there's not really anything I want to buy. Uh-huh. Have, have you? Has that been the same for you? It has been. It has been. I mean, last week... Uh... Last week was terrible. Last week, the only thing I bought I bought digitally, and it was the Age of Ultron, just because I was like, I probably should read this. Oh, yeah. And then, then you read it more as like... No. Oh, I, I bought issue two this week, thinking, I can't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> two really was the coffin nail, wasn't it? Like, the first oh, you, one... You read two, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks to, thanks to listener-supported yep. contributions, uh, I was but able to read Age of Ultron. In issue two, is this Captain America stands up? <laughs> I, I, for those of you who haven't read it, that's literally the plot development. That that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all that happens to differentiate issue, issue two from issue one. Yeah. yeah. The last page of issue one is Captain America sitting down. The last page of issue two is Captain America standing up. Everything in between, completely worthless. Well, how do we put it? Um, it is. <laughs> we, it, we put it completely worthless. <laughs> Age of Ultron is staggeringly boring. Oh, it is! It is super. Well, it's kind of interesting to me. I'm fascinated by because uh, when I read the first issue of it, um, and and for for listeners who uh, uh, are have not picked up uh, Age of Ultron um, at this Don't. point, we're probably saying good for you. But uh, the, basically, the plot summary is it, it opens up in the the rubble of uh, New York City. And uh, Hawkeye it manages to pull a brave and daring rescue mission to um, to save a, uh, a captured prisoner um, from some B-rate villains who are planning on selling the prisoner to the Ultrons. And it turns out that the prisoner is Spider-Man. Um, hey, Jeff, he's Otto Octavius Spider-Man. Can't you tell? Oh Doesn't yeah, he really seem like Otto Octavius. I'm not Peter Parker at all. I think it's really cute that they're like, no, really, it is Otto. I know it. I know it looks like Peter Parker, and he sounds just like Peter Parker. It's really it's Otto. Later, it'll become clear. You, I honestly wish they could just be like, look, when we wrote the fucking comic, he was still Peter Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, have they really actually tried to say that? Oh God, that's... yes, yes. There is. Uh, I was listening to uh, this week in Marvel podcast with Tom Brevoort. Mm-hmm. and he's like, no, it's we. You know, we plan these things in advance. It's it's Otto Octavius. Wow. And then yesterday on Twitter, Dan Slott was like, no, it's definitely auto. What you'll see in the tie-in issue, why it's definitely auto. And I honestly wish they'd just be like, look, when we we fucking wrote the comic two years ago. When yeah. We wrote the- yeah, exactly. Is two years. What do you people just, want from just us? Just deal with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Or or even just, yeah, some sort of, you know, I kind of half hoped that it was going to be, that would help set up. Because it's true. You read it and you're just like, this is an old comic book. This, I mean, and it's kind of fascinating the extent to which falling right on the heels of Marvel now as it does, it really falls in like the worst place in the worst way possible, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's it seems like nope, Graham. Generic. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, you. That, did I drop out name back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was saying was, it seems like a generic Bendis Avengers comic. It does in, in, in every respect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it totally seems at odds with Marvel now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, in terms of storytelling, as much as anything, mm-hmm. yeah. never mind like the continuity is fucked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, the continuity is definitely screwed. But uh, but yeah, uh, it, no, it's weird. It it does feel 
um, it it already feels like a relic, even as you're picking up the first issue. Uh, but the first issue, I'm kind of like, okay, the usual things that drive me crazy about Bendis, at least he skipped a chunk of them. He actually really is getting the story underway, you know, at, 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 you know, not at the beginning of it, but a little further on. But then when, for me, when I read issue two, which is basically Spider-Man, I mean, among the one or two other sloppy threads, uh, subplots that are sort of introduced, Spider-Man sort of recounts what happened to him. Um, and it really was, I was like, wait a minute. So do you understand the time frame with when which the Ultrons took over to where the point is that they're all basically like cowering in the sewers and essentially committing Bas- superhero Bas- cannibalism? Bas- tell you that it's supposed to be a couple of days. Yeah, a couple of days? I'm just like, it, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, it, in a weird way, you can almost understand it reading the comic because it seems to be that Spider-Man slept through everything. Right. And then woke up and mm-hmm. everything was Ultronized. So right. you can sort of assume like, you know, for some reason, Ultron you know, somehow Ultron did this really quickly and really quietly. If you can sleep through it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, a bit of a stretch, but okay. Yeah, I think I think I'm okay with that too. I'm just sort of like, there's also just that weird stage of which everyone's like, and we've given up hope. Like the whole thing what? where Hawkeye like does his speech, his shame on you speech, which I swear to God I read in some other Bendis comic this week. Well, yeah, that that it. that that's what Bendis does. Like, Bendis has his hero character who's like, I am more of a hero than you guys. You've given up. So that later on, the hero, other heroes can be like, you're right. We're, we're picking up the pieces. What's hilarious to me is I read this weekend uh, Busek and Perez's Ultron Unleashed. Mm-hmm. And it's just the two, like, there's such dissonance between the two Ultron stories. Oh, I'm sure. Because Ultron Unleashed is, Ultron has taken over a country. He's, like, he has done genocide. Performed mm-hmm. genocide, whatever, whatever the, the correct <laughs> verb is for genocide, um, and the Avengers go anyway, mm-hmm. and they're like, we're completely overwhelmed, but we're fucking superheroes, right? So we're gonna go and take on the bad guy because that's what we do, mm-hmm. and we'll find a way because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And so you go from that to you know where there are hundreds of Ultrons, and they're like, okay, we're going in that because we're superheroes, you know. <laughs> What's the alternative? Not doing anything? No, we can't do that. To Age of Ultron, where the superheroes are just like, we're just trying to stay alive, man. Well, yeah. Right, right. Right. underground, man. And <laughs> Hawkeye is like, you don't give up on your bros. It's... <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, wait, no, I like the other superheroes. I like the guys who are actually superheroes. I don't like Cap sitting down crying. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm bored of Cap in despair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, I like I don't understand the we can't use tech anymore. Says Iron Man wearing a glowing suit of armor. Yeah, which I, he's like, this that? isn't tech. This is just a reflective surface, which is always catching the light. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a tech dampener that I use. I, I do like that it's supposed to be now, quote unquote, in mm-hmm. the Marvel continuity, and yet everyone is in new costumes as well. It's 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 such a mess. It's such a mess. It's like so. It's kind of now. It's mm-hmm. now-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the rumor that's going around, and I I don't know if you've seen this, is that this the the now of Age of Ultron mm-hmm. is the is not Marvel now, Marvel. Mm-hmm. The Marvel now 
is going to be revealed to be the everything happens after the time fucking up later mm-hmm. on in the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they're doing Flashpoint, but they've already done the... <laughs> but because Bendis and Hitch were so late and they missed the Flashpoint deadline, they just sort of rebooted everything that's, and they have to go back the room- into it? Wow. Rumors that are essentially going to retroactively reboot everything, and that's how they're going to explain anything that's weird in Marvel now. Wow. wow. It seems insane. <laughs> like, it really it does. It, when you say it like that, you're like, this is crazy. Yeah. Um... But I've seen so many people say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, let's put it this way. I just, I really, I'm like, Mar- you know, it should be their new slogan. Marvel can't put anything past them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they might try it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I, it's, you'll agree that issue two is terrible, right? Yeah, actually, like I said, issue two was impressively worse than issue one. Because issue one, um... Although it was, uh, you know, kind of boringly paced, but boringly paced in a way of like, you know, Bendis is going to try and give you action and action and more action. And I kind of felt like it was his, like, his like, oh, okay, okay, I've, I, you know, like I've been saying nice things about Mark Miller for years. I suppose I should actually sit down and read one of his comics and then going, oh, okay, so this is what it does. Okay, this is what you need to like sell. Okay, I think, okay, right, okay, I can do this. Yeah, 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 no, I got this, I got this, I got this. And so it's like this big scene and, like, people dying. It's like, no, 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 and cool and cavalier and shooting an arrow without looking. I get it, I get it, that's a big, I can get, I've got this. And then, you know, even up to the end of the first issue, okay. And then the end of, then when issue two kicks in, I mean, it, not only is it, like, profoundly forgettable, but it's just, it's, it's bad and nothing really seems to make a lick of sense and like you said there is just that horrible like the progression from you see Cap being broken to Cap standing up and being like not broken or whatever I was just like this I mean it really how do I put it like this is really getting to be the nadir of unearned storytelling where you have an icon and literally just by, like, you know what I he's They've turned Captain America into that Indian in that pollution commercial from the 70s, where it's just I, I, like, oh, he's crying. You well, know, I, kind s- of thing. I said on Newsarama last week, Cap in Despair is Superman crying. Yeah. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how serious is your story? I don't know. Is Cap on his knees at any point? Right. Like, if Cap's on his knees, then fuck, I know this is an important story. Right. It's the same th- It's Superman crying. Yeah. Yeah, but it's kind of it's weirdly. Uh, at least I sort of feel like like they haven't done Superman crying in a while in DC. I mean, maybe because yeah, they I, overplayed I think, that hand over yeah, twenty or thirty years. That's what I think happened. I think they realized that like we've done it too much, and everyone is laughing at us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because Superman crying became a joke. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and and now Marvel's like, well, <laughs> it's our turn. <laughs> Watch this, everybody. We've got some top-notch crying coming up, you know. Um, but just, just the idea of like it just doesn't, just doesn't mean much. Which is funny because, uh, in contrast with, um, I actually ended up reading a lot of Bendis over the last week or two because I read uh, all new X Men and uh, the second and third issues of Uncanny X Men, um, and. Uh, especially all new X-Men. I don't know if you saw the latest issue, but you know, David Marquez did the art on it. Um, and it's great. 
Like the, the Marquez's art like is the, the art. The art is great, or the book is great. The, no, no, no. The art is great. I actually like the book, but considering the um, the art on it is basic. I think the trying to think if there's much of a story hook on that eighth issue besides. Uh, Isn't it? Hey, it's the Avengers. It's uh, oh yeah, pop up at the end. I think that's right. But the but the opening part is like angel and angel versus some kind of super bad guys, and it's just really really well done visually exciting storytelling like the sort of stuff you just do not see it's gorgeous to look at I, I felt like okay I can totally understand what's going on and what's happening this is great I'm going to like double check by opening up this issue and be like oh no I'm sorry like, no this, yeah this is terrible yeah, this was issue, <laughs> well I was going to say it's issue 7 not issue 8 or whatever but uh, but that was actually that was actually pretty great um, and then the uncanny stuff uh I don't know, it, you know, but I guess what I'm saying is, is what's in, interesting to me is is that in that Bendis actually leans very heavily on the, oh, here's who the character is supposed to be and here who they become, you know, is pretty much the cornerstone of all new X-Men. But it works a lot better, like for whatever reason for me, I feel like his his typical Bendis-y pacing um, actually works to good effect. Uh, in the title, um, you know, as opposed well, to just well, sort of crapping things up. But here's the thing: I I've not read either of those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, although I read the first of Uncanny X Men, I read the first five of All New. Mm-hmm. But at least in those issues, there was um, it wasn't the same Bendis pacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it was it was faster, and mm-hmm. it was more aware of the needs to establish something quicker. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think one of the real problems with Age of Ultron is, or Benison Brevoort or whatever, have thought, let's give Brian Hitch the space he needs to show off. Mm. And I think that's really a problem because ben, what Age of Ultron has sort of really rammed home for me is that Hitch is kind of a terrible comic artist. Mm. Mm. His storytelling jobs are not as good as everyone seems to think they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his staging is actually kind of dull. Right. So when you get Bendis being like, I'm going to give him, you know, three quarters of the issue to be silent and show off, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then you're, you're leaving, putting so much pressure on him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're leaving so much to him mm-hmm. that if he falters, mm-hmm. then your comic's fucked. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you've got all new X Men, you've got Stuart Eminem and, and David Marquez, or you've got Uncanny and you've got Bacalo, those are all more interesting artists. Yeah. So even if he did do the same thing, which he isn't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it would be a better comic. Yeah. I I think Hitch is really a problem with Age of Ultron so far. Ah, you know, it's such it's such a mess. It's actually less dull work from him than I've seen in a while, and I could be wrong on that. But I actually thought the first issue was. Because I'm trying to think what I saw by Hitch before before I just gave up. It might I may not have looked at anything of his since um, Captain, Captain America. America Rebirth. Yeah, which I just found extraordinarily dull. Um, you know, I have those same problems with his storytelling takes, and I honestly thought that he was trying to to ramp it up. You know, and, and try and uh, uh, I don't know. You know, he he's just sort of. Each stage, you know, it is, I think one of the reasons why it's a really, he's a bad mix is with Bendis in particular, is is that they're both so, um, 
uh, you know, the cinematic, but in a bad way. You know what I mean? Like, it really is, like, there were a couple of stages, I think it's just stages where the Ultrons are flying by, and they've got their, you know, little chest lights, like, shining down on everyone. And it's so, it's like, oh, I can totally see what this would look like in the movie. On the film. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it really has that, like, yes, it's like I'm actually being bored at a multiplex while I watch this, you read this kind of comic. Um, and I think it, it heightens, they bring out the, I don't even think it's like they bring out their worst tendencies in each other yet. I think it's just the two of them tend to underscore what is bad about one another's work, I think, which is is that Bendis so frequently reads to me like somebody who um, is a big fan of movies and television and loves the sort of loves the little interstitial moments, you know? It's like he's always kind of he's always sort of he's always sort of trying to 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 create those the moments that are supposed to feel big or sort of drawn out in movies or TV um but under Bendis they feel sort of super drawn out and kind of laggy and it's the same sort of thing I guess with Hitch. Is again, it's just that thing of like there is it it feels like there's the complete absence of anything new coming at you, you know, sort of the same way when you see, like, you know, the fifth or sixth summer movie blockbuster, you know, the movie blockbusters, they always start out and you're like, yes, I can't wait to see these, and you see the good one, and then you see the okay one, and then you see another okay one, and then the 4th of July one comes out, it's pretty good, and then it's back to kind of like being like, oh, this is bad, and just by the end of it, it's just it's just so samey same, you know, the same camera angles, the same long shots, the same, you know, the same Hans Zimmer sound track. I mean, they should really should get Hans Zimmer to like do the soundtrack for Age of Ultron because that's all that it's missing is just that boring ass drumming going on and on and on hey, in the background. Hey, now that we have Project Gamma, that might happen. Oh, I know. See, that's what I'm saying, Graham. So much news to talk about. <laughs> you just want me to be really snarky about Marvel South by Southwest. <laughs> no, no. I I actually was hoping we could talk about it so I could be really snarky about Mario. <laughs> oh, Marvel, that's but... that's good. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. Good. As long as we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I have I sort of worry that we're going to be distressingly on the page for all the subjects that we're going to be dour about. But oh not. no, but I've I have something that I can I can blow you away with that you haven't even read. Jeff. <laughs> to be dour about? Okay, it sounds great. Yeah. Hit me up with it. Uh, because of something that a reader left in a comment, and sadly, if I try and find it right now, it's going to completely drop the connection, so I won't. Listener, you'll know who you are. Uh, I reread all of the Before Watchmen comps I've got. Oh, God. Because someone said, Are we going to do a Before Watchmen wrap up? Yes. And I thought, You know what? I've not even read most of them. Wow. So I should. I should read all of the Before Watchmen comps so mm. I can talk intelligently about them. So mm. I did that, and I know, Jeff, that you've not read any of them. That's right. So, yes, we're not entirely on the same page because I can... <laughs> I'm here, Jeff, to tell you this. Yes. Before Watchmen is not as bad as you thought. Okay. But it almost is. <laughs> almost is. I'm like, curse you, Graham, I almost fell for it. So... Uh, I, I say that because mm -hmm. uh, you could actually break it down by writer. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, Darwin Cook does Darwin Cook does interesting work with it that could theoretically stand alone if Watchmen didn't exist mm -hmm. JMS does not JMS writes fan fiction mm -hmm. for 
not nowhere as much as Night Owl, <laughs> which is really genuinely like four issues of fanfic. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of appalling, just how bad it is and how sloppy. Mm-hmm. In a way that like Doctor Manhattan is also fanfic, but somehow is more agreeable fanfic than Night Owl. Night Owl is exceptionally fanfic. Um, I am not a massive Watchmen fan, as we've gone over before, yes. so I'm not sure how much these people are inventing and how much is all there in the text already. Mm-hmm. But you know the scene in Watchmen where uh, Laurie and Dan are talking about this the supervillain who has the crush on Dan? Yes. So that's what the Night Owl series is about. Oh, really? Yes. And it's as bad as you'd think. <laughs> because it retcons it that she's not going to crush. They're in love with each other. Oh, no. And then and then she has to leave because she's falling too in love with them. Oh, no. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, really, it's that bad. Uh, whereas, like, Dr. Manhattan is Jemish trying to be metaphysical and not understanding what metaphysics is. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. He's like, here's what Schrodinger's cat is. And, you know, I kind of want any scientist to read it, just see how far they can throw it across the room, being like, no, it's not! <laughs> don't understand! <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, so that's JMS. Dharma uh, Cook does some interesting stuff but it's also very Darwin Cookie for mm-hmm. what I'm thing, especially Minutemen Minutemen mm-hmm. feels like Darwin Cook I don't want to say hacking it out but definitely doing something that is not particularly new for Darwin Cook mm-hmm. um, but I don't again I don't know how new it is for Watchmen so for example in Minutemen is there the silhouette is she one of the Minutemen in Watchmen I believe that she is yeah because she's she's one of the early characters that i think is she the one that's the lesbian i think yes yes yeah. mm-hmm. so it's it's basically the unpacking of all of that mm-hmm. uh sort of played against the the conceit of that is these are the things i took out of under the hood mm-hmm. it's just saying like it it's the framing sequences he's written under the hood he's showing it to people and people are basically like you motherfucker mm-hmm. you you can't make all of this public you're doing this just to make yourself feel better, you know. There's you're there, you're gaining nothing, and while this is happening, you get the flashbacks to what's happening, mm-hmm. and it ends with him going being like, "They're right," and I cut all of this out. The only thing I left in is the comedian raping Sally, mm-hmm. like everything else I cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's Darwin Cook doing his retro thing, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some lovely art stuff all of the books look amazing i should say that they're especially ozymandias jay lee's art and that is just drop dead gorgeous Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful beautiful stuff um but again uh the minutemen is not breaking any great new ground but Mm -hmm. at least doing it interestingly and it doesn't rely on a knowledge of watchmen to Mm -hmm. work sorry Silk Spectre, again doesn't really rely on a knowledge of watchmen to work as a story but also kind of tells a dull story Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it gains its power from Watchmen, even if the narrative works without Watchmen. I see. Um, and again, it looks lovely. Amanda Connor's stuff is really, really nice. The Len Wein books are kind of fascinating. <laughs> um, Mandis is a really fucking weird series. <laughs> it's really... It's like... it's. 
I can't get my head around the, beyond the fact that I think that Len Wein approached before Watchmen as, now I'll show everyone who the true genius of Watchmen was. Right. It was me! <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a, an amazing place for him to come from. <laughs> uh, so he, like, is, is literally him being like, and here's how he did the whole thing, everybody. <laughs> Which is just weird. Like, it's a weird comic. Mm-hmm. Um... But in a weird way, works. I, I, I'm tempted to say Ozymandias might be the most successful of the writing of all of the Before Watchmen. What? Really? Not the best, uh-huh. but like the most successful in what it's doing. Which is reinstalling Len Wein as the genius of Watchmen? <laughs> exactly, which is showing that Len Wein is the, the brain behind the whole shebang. Yeah. Um, no, just in terms of, I don't know, successfully doing a prequel I guess mm-hmm. or, or working in the gaps of the original mm-hmm. put it this way I had more fun reading Ozymandias sure. than I think I did with any of the rest of the books right um, uh, but part of it does come from the sense of oh Len when you are fucking shameless <laughs> all the way through I mean really just all the way through um, he turns Ozymandias into even more of a moustache twirling mm-hmm and I always kind of found Ozymandias to be a kind of flat moustache twirling villain anyway. You know, any character who has the, I did it 25 minutes ago. Like, really? Seriously? That's, you know. Um, but yeah, like, Lenwein does... Also, Lenwein has this great scene where he's like... Where Ozymandias has decided basically he's got to save the world. Mm-hmm. And the next issue starts with him being like, I might be a super genius, but I'm not inventive. So I went to watch all the science fiction and <laughs> Until this episode of Outer Limits came on, and I thought, I could use that idea. Like, he blatantly just says that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of amazing. That's, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know. I, I, I wish that I could I could um, weigh in here, because, of course, I'm like, ah, Graham, uh, you're killing me here. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I Maybe I'll get lucky, and my library will actually have all the collections. I, well, I have to tell you, I'm not sure I'd be getting lucky. Oh, don't get me wrong. Getting, I might be. What I mean by getting lucky is being able to read it, so I could knowledgeably yell at you for some of the things that you've said. But I mean, you know, that's just. I, I think as someone who, anyone who likes Watchmen, mm-hmm. or anyone who genuinely loves Watchmen, mm-hmm. should run a fucking mile from these comics. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just shoot. You will. There is nothing good that will come from these comics. Right. Well, that's um, a relief to actually know for sure as opposed to deeply deeply believe in my heart but uh... oh, no, no there's nothing at all I, I have to say I think the worst of all of them are the Brian Azzarello comics oh yeah why is that I think the Az comics comics yeah they seem they seem cynical in a way that the JMS comics don't like the JMS comics are clearly the work of a Watchmen fanboy mm-hmm. the Azzarello comics feel like paycheck comics they feel very cynical and very... So, this is a work of genius, is it? Wait till I'm done with it. <laughs> um, and, and and more than any other comic, I think they are the least additive to the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, I think even JMS adds more. Well, it sounds like he tries to add like a little too much uh, in some cases, you know? Um, at least, but at least with the night owl book, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I like 
the, the Azarella books to me genuinely seem like cash-ins mm-hmm. in a way that the others don't. Mm-hmm. The others seem like they, for better or worse, spoiler, worse, believe <laughs> their own hype that they are, like, you know, building on the legacy as opposed to Azarella books, which are just like, they paid me a fuckload of money <laughs> to these comics, so I wrote these comics. <laughs> you know? There, there's really, there's, they're weirdly cynical and and vapid at the same time. The, I, actually, that's not true. The, the JMS Moloch title mm-hmm. is, is, is up there in terms of a stunning lack of need. <laughs> like, it's a comic that might as well just be renamed completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you get the Dollar Bill book in there as well? Yep, I did. I uh, forget, is that a one-issue shot or a two? two one shot okay. uh, by Len Wein and Steve Rude. Because Steve Rude. It's 1987. Mm-hmm. Steve Rude, by the way, letters the book. Yeah. It's fascinating. I have to say that was the, the only book that I really have any exposure to apart from, I think at each time, uh, I remember picking up issues, basically going into comics experience where Hibbs is like, oh, you got to read this, you got to read this. And uh, which, so, which means that I've read select pages from the first two issues of Night Owl, I think. Uh, yeah. But Dollar Bill was fascinating to me because of Steve Rude's art. Like, it's... Um, Dollar Bill is stunningly out of sync with everything else that's published as part, part before Watchmen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's far more optimistic and old-fashioned and super-heroic, mm. for want of a better way of putting it. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and also the fact that Steve Rude letters it, I can't quite get my head around. Yeah. Because it makes it look so strange. Yeah. It, it, it look, it's a strange-looking book. It's a strange-looking book. Like, Rude is one of those guys who, God help us, you know, maybe, quote-unquote, past his prime in a way that is really interesting. In that his pages are... They're, didn't you... Did you... Did, did the book seem overstuffed to you? Yes. Every single page seems amazingly busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazingly busy to to the point of being almost. Once you find out that he's also doing the lettering too, almost graphophilic. Like I just remember, there's like some of the backgrounds in that. Just um, it 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 really starts to look like uncomfortably like neurosis or something. I don't know how to describe it in any other way. Well, the other thing that's really interesting is. I get. I'm not sure if this would be different if anyone else had done the lettering, mm-hmm. but the lettering fills up such an amount of space mm-hmm. and such an amount of real estate that it looks like a hideously overwritten book as well. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It does, but of it, course, it, since Ween's on it, I sort of assume that it was. So, no, but it's overwritten in a way that, like his other, uh, the Ozymandias thing is not. Ozymandias is remarkably quiet. I guess I don't know if you just saw. The- I'm going to shut up because this guy is doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's overall the before watch movies are. I don't know. I hope DC makes a fortune from them because there's no artistic reason for doing them. Yeah, they are. They're a collection of beautiful books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not one of them is not gorgeous. The closest is a dollar bill, bill one, and that's just because, like you said, like Steve Rude seems to have a compulsion to fill up every available space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like Ozymandias is, you know, possibly the most beautiful book DC's released in the last year, mm-hmm. and and he's got great competition there from Doctor Manhattan, which is just fucking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
Adam Hughes' art in that is amazing. Yeah. Um, but when you get beyond, these are really nice artists. It, there's no reason for these books to exist at all. Hmm. So yeah, that's your that's your look back in before Watchmen, everyone. It's pretty much everything you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sadly, nothing else brought to the table. Well, let me ask you this, Graham. Do you think because those those books started off selling a fuck ton, and not that I've tracked them very closely, seem to all tumble pretty precipitously? Um, do you think that we're we're going to see tons more of these uh, before the classics treatments here from from DC? Yeah, I think we'll see the ones we already know are coming. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll see lots of more befores. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see the Sandman Zero, right. which is kind of separate anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. In the A, it's gaming. Right. But also, it was in the works years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll see a lot more things like the Brother Lono series. I think we'll see lots more going back to the well, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if there'll be prequels. Right. I think the prequel thing happened because you can't do After Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like yeah, in, a, in, in, a weird, in a weird way that you could do before Watchmen, mm-hmm. you genuinely can't do after Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think that I think everyone at DC recognizes that, that would be doomed to failure so much faster, mm-hmm. uh, and and seems weirdly more disrespectful to the original than yeah. doing a prequel. Right, right. I think so. I think so because the the idea is that you can you know, fill in all these sort of little spaces, but more uh, gets the last word, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you know, well, we're not changing the ending of the original. Right. Whereas like your sequel, you're like, well, that's, that's only half the story. You know, that's, that's, that's a dangerous thing to do. Whereas I I think you can say, I think if you are doing a prequel, you can say we're being entirely respectful. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's true, but I think you can say it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think as soon as you do a sequel, mm-hmm. I don't think you can anymore. Because I think doing a sequel by implication suggests they didn't take it far enough. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No. It's it, which is the traditional complaint of the sequel is it it sort of by by its very existence sort of cheapens the impact of the original. Yeah. You know? So I mean, but sometimes no, it, you can it, build on it properly, but yeah. Be- before Watchmen, in I think in the long term it's going to be looked back as this really weird moment for DC mm-hmm. where I think it's an overreach I think it's going to end up being looked back as an overreach mm-hmm. and not for the reasons that everyone was like this is appalling how dare they whatever but because I think ultimately the audience showed that it didn't really care that much and I think the lesson that should be learned from this isn't you have to respect the creator's wishes, but if you're going to disrespect the creator's wishes, make sure there's enough of an audience to make it worthwhile. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I I I think that I think DC will. I, I think they'll learn. No, they won't. DC don't learn. I think if DC was smart, mm-hmm. they would they would take the lesson from this of it's one thing to think you know better, but make sure that people actually want it. Well. <clears throat> yeah, maybe. I'm, you know, it's interesting, Graham, because I'm sort of like, to me, that kind of um, 
grays out the side of things. I think that if they had managed to had managed to do this Watchmen and had seen basically managed to do it in a way, they were never going to get any everybody on board. But the fact that they proceeded to not let that stop them, you know what I mean? Like that to me sort of seems like. I, it's fascinating to me that you're kind of like, oh, yeah, they're splitting the difference between, you know, m- maybe what you're saying is, is it's the difference between an, an Ender's Game movie and a Superman comic, you know? No, I guess what I'm trying to say is what ended up happening was a loss all around for DC. Mm-hmm. A loss of credibility and a commercial loss. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I don't think I, it's going like... to be a commercial loss. I just think well, it'll end no, up being okay, a not, smash not, Yeah, not... I don't even think it's going to be a no smash. I think it's. I think the books are going to flop. I think collected editions are actually going to flop. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I personally think that they're planning on like they've got five volumes. They're planning on having you know basically every library in America order a set of those, and that's going to make them a very very tidy sum. You think the books are going to stay in print? No, that's where things get that's, a little more problematic. I that's, don't. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. But but that's that's a different form of that's the, that's the long game. That's the long game of sure, long term profit. But sure, but that's what I'm looking at. I think this damages the Watchmen brand. Mm-hmm. And doesn't. I think okay. I think it just damages the Watchmen brand. Mm-hmm. I don't think it adds anything to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I think it damages DC's credibility in almost every respect. I think it. And I, I think. Yes. I think calculated gamble in saying we're okay with damaging our credibility because look at the, what we're going to do mm-hmm. and I don't think there's enough for look at what we're going to do to make it worthwhile yeah that could be I mean I mean, I think that's true I, l- let's put it this way I definitely think that DC is harming their credibility and that that's going to make that's is this could be the start of a long bad streak of decisions possibly but but I think that in and of itself they're like, okay, we made a lot of money on this, but we realized, like, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be able to make that much money off of these sort of things, and we shouldn't necessarily proceed forward. But I don't I don't necessarily know if they're going to learn. Like I said, I, I could be wrong, but I think they're going to see enough money off of the bottom line, off of those, at least the first round of those collected editions, that they're going to be like, okay, well, we're happy with this. You know, they're not, it's not going to be the sort well, of thing well, that, that re, you know that regenerates season after season or year after year and is a perennial seller for them. But I don't think I think DC is slowly wondering. It you know is sort of like well, how much of that do we have to commit to anyway? You yeah, know? I mean, what what I think the danger here I think is by turning Watchmen from one book read it all mm-hmm. to it's part of a six book cycle. Yes. That harms that harms the Watchmen brand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the point where I don't know, but the, the, the I think the short term gain is going to have to be fucking great mm-hmm. to balance it out, and I don't think it's going to be anywhere near that. See, I have to think that they after the Watchmen movie, like you know, gave up. <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit. No, like after the Watchmen movie, they sold a shit ton of stuff before the Watchmen movie. Then after the movie came out, Watchmen sales dropped heavily. And then a year or two years after that, they started coming back. And so I think they think that literally the, the, the goose that lays the golden eggs can't be killed. Like, I, I totally see your point in the sense of, like, 
you know, I, I think I think with just about any other thing, I would agree with you. But I'm willing to bet, because by their very nature, these five books are going to come out. They're going to make money on them. They're not going to sell anymore. And then it's sort of they fall away, and everyone remembers Watchmen. And if they don't, they make sure they do a 34th anniversary of Watchmen. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, would, with... that would be hilarious. They're like, hey. You've read before Watchmen, but have you read Watchmen? <laughs> oh, God. That would be the best marketing slogan ever. What happens after before Watchmen? <laughs> it's Watchmen. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so great. That, that would be the best marketing campaign ever. If you ever. think Len, Wien, JMS, Brian Nazarello, and Darwin Cook are good writers, we need to meet this guy, Alan Moore. <laughs> exactly. You're fucking blowing the end of the stories here. Spoiler, it's a fucking squid. Oh, God. <laughs> All of Before Watchmen has been building to this. Exactly. <laughs> Alan Moore's terrifying sequel to Before Watchmen. Yeah, that's brilliant, Graham. You are a genius. That would be really funny if they actually started, like, promoting it backwards. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. Before Watchmen was a big success, so we decided to re-release all of Watchmen in 12 issues. <laughs> <laughs> For the fans who have never read it, this time, every issue is three ninety nine. Oh, God, just you wait, you guys. Oh, Watchmen. yeah, be great. But it's going to come with, like, a digital download of the comic for each issue, and oh, no, it's going only, to have introductions only for Oh, yeah, the combo pack? Okay. Yeah, the combo pack will be four ninety nine. What will happen is you'll have brand new variant covers. From well, It'll be like, you know, Dave Gibbons' cover for issue one's iconic, <laughs> but where do you see David Finch's cover for issue one? <laughs> Game said and match, comic industry. <laughs> issue two, it's Gary Frank, everyone. <laughs> oh, Graham. Graham, Graham, Some, Graham. Somewhere, like, someone at DC Comics is listening to this being like, wait, we could. We could really sell. <laughs> exactly. As individual issues, genius! Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I don't know. I, I just feel that there's, uh, before Watchmen is, it's not just a swing and a miss. Like, it's a swing and a miss where they're somehow going to end up, like, turning around with momentum and then hitting themselves in the face with their baseball bat. Yeah, with their baseball bat. No, and uh, and and I and while that would put just about any other person in the hospital and I agree with it. And I don't want to sound like I'm defending before Watchmen in any way. I do I think I don't think you're defending it. I guess like I I could see a business case for them doing it mm-hmm. if it was going to be absolutely fucking massive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was and I would like to think that 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 and the risk to the brand would be enough to stop them doing it again for something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I I do see it. I do see it. Although, uh, you know, it's funny you say that because I'm like, sure, absolutely. I'm like, huh, but what if they did, what if they did Watchmen Earth 1? You know? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. You've got Superman Earth 1 and Batman Earth 1 where you take the stories of Superman and Batman but you retell them in more modern settings and with a different team and going in different directions. You take Alan Moore's Watchmen as a story that basically happened in another universe and well, there, you there's retell a much Watchmen. That, which, but could you not just be like, hey everyone, it's the Carlton Heroes. Well, you could, but but how do I put it? Or the... do you, do you think you need to have a character called Rorschach, and you need to have a character called Ozymandias, and you need to have a Doctor Manhattan? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. This is what I'm talking about because it's not but as if they. Do you? Like, I don't know because I think, 
I think doing something like that is somehow even more of a fundamental misunderstanding of the appeal of Watchmen. Because uh... I, I, th- I think... Yes, I, think I mean, genu- I mean, I think the genuine appeal of Watchmen. Yes, but also DC Comics' perception of the appeal of Watchmen are Watchmen sales because Watchmen is a story, mm-hmm. and I think before Watchmen exists, because they're like, this is what happened before the story, as opposed to here's the further adventures of your favorite characters. Mm-hmm. I think Superman, Earth One, and Batman, Earth One can be done because you're like, here's the character, mm-hmm. and I think as soon as you're like, hey, we're starting afresh with the character from Watchmen I think you're I don't think anyone thinks that's the appeal of Watchmen uh, all I can say is is there are people who <laughs> all only... I can say is they actually published a comedy called Dollar Bill yeah call, called before Watchmen for that matter so so for me I think it's honestly that people there are people who define the interest in Watchmen as strictly being dollar bills like it's recognizable IP and if you can figure out a way to turn the IP into, in, you know, into something that that uh, draws attention or excitement from people, because you already have the knowledge of the IP, it's there already. So yeah, I unfortunately, but, but do you not think the IP is Watchmen? Like I think I think in order for your your theory to work, the comic would actually have to be called Watchmen's Doctor Manhattan Earth One. Doctor Manhattan or because the brand is Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, no, the brand is Watchmen. Yes, agreed. That's what I'm saying. So Watchmen Earth One would be like, how would you retell the story of Watchmen in modern times? You know, which makes no sense whatsoever. And I'm not trying to make a big pitch for this book, mind you, but I'm just saying, like, if Watchmen is like, what really separates Watchmen from, say, Superman or Batman? I mean, no, you can turn around and say, well, Superman and Batman are individual characters. But, you know, but at a certain level, the way they're just seen, it's no, like... But, but also, Superman and Batman don't have a core narrative beyond their origins, whereas Watchmen does. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's the difference between uh, mythology and folklore, mm-hmm. isn't it? That that mythology is a story with a beginning, middle, and end, and folklore is an idea that changes in the retelling. Sure. Well, yeah, okay, I I, I will agree. Is that it not folklore... like is 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 it not that that Watchmen's like I th- I think Batman and Superman don't I, because they don't have an end. Because mm-hmm. Superman Earth One and Batman Earth One are not retelling the same story. They're like there's this story that you kind of know but here's this additional story I think in order to do Watchmen Earth 1 you couldn't just retell Watchmen and again I th- we can both agree that Watchmen Earth 1 would be a terrible idea right? Right, right, right Of course, well but of if, course if, but I'm just saying like but if you're actually trying to do Watchmen Earth 1 mm-hmm. you'd be fucked because you'd either have to be retelling exactly the same story as Watchmen in which case why retell it mm-hmm. or You'd have to make enough changes that it would be different from Watchmen, and therefore, why would anyone buy it? Because right. they could buy Watchmen. When they could buy Watchmen. And I think ultimately that's the point. As, as super silly as, uh, as I'm being, I think ultimately what it, what it stacks down to is as long as you can just buy one volume that is just Watchmen, you're, you know, that's always going to work like you said because superman and batman don't have an end but more kind of more importantly 
they have too much between the new reader and the beginning that they always have to end up sort of beginning again and again and again and again and again, you know? I mean, that's what Superman, Earth-1, and Batman, Earth-1 really are, I think, is, is for things, for readers outside the comics market to kind of be like, oh, well, okay, I just saw this Batman movie, where do I start? And someone's able to hand them that book, you know what I mean? Because... Yeah, what what always makes me sad about that thinking mm-hmm. is the idea that you always have to start with the origin. Well, Do you know what I mean? Especially right. for like Superman and Batman, everyone mm-hmm. fucking knows the origin. Well, sure, everyone knows the story, the origin, but I mean, but people, but people want to read it. You know what I mean? Like people want to read like they're because I think that's it. You know, people walk out of the Iron Man movie and are like, "Oh, Iron Man! That I really like that character. I'm really interested." in reading that character and catching up. You know what I mean? Like, so they want to, they want to know, you know? And I think that that's one of the things that's so hard about comics is you walk in there and, you know, where you try and point people is, you know, and most of the time, I think I was talking about this with like Walking Dead, the miracle of Walking Dead is it's still at the point where, you know, there's a certain number of trades that you can read and it still seems doable. You can still have the whole thing. You know? When is the cutoff point? Because for me, like, Walking Dead is only doable because you can get the massive hardcovers. Exactly. Because if you're doing it in paperbacks, you're like, okay, so here's volumes 1 through 19. Yeah. You know, at that point, it's like, what the fuck? What am I getting into? Right, which is why it's... Like, and so the trick really becomes, like, well, how much bigger can they stack those those omnibi? So, I yeah, mean, exactly. Like, when it's like, there's 30 issues in one, but you can be like, okay, here's book one and book two. Mm-hmm. It seems more doable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that as a general rule of thumb, everyone keeps their eye on the trilogy. You know what I mean? So how they end up doing, you know, maybe there's other things that you can get that response that big beyond three books or four books, I think. But I think anything beyond four mega books of Walking Dead is going to be the point at which it stops taking on new people. You know, um, I, I mean, I could be wrong on that, but uh, but that 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 seems to me to be sort of that upper limit. But I think because there is nothing like that for for Superman and Batman, everyone comes into it and everyone's like, yeah, I want to be there at the beginning. And people are like, OK, well, this is not the beginning, but, you know, but you can take it and be satisfied with it. And I always wonder to what extent those books really, you know, actually work. You know, and in that sense, yeah, like Superman and Batman, those other characters, they are they are like folklore in that people just tell stories about them, you know, that and what the sense of what, what actually happens sort of meanders in and out. So Yeah. But I don't know, I'm I'm uh, yeah, yes. We started off talking about Watchmen at some point and then we, we got off <laughs> massively off topic. Well, it's not massively, because there is kind of this idea of, like, before Watchmen, okay, admittedly that it screwed the pooch, but it is, uh, um, you know, and in that sense, a big failure. I just think that it's really funny that you're like, oh, yeah, but it wasn't a big failure because everyone hated it. It was a big failure because it wasn't good enough. And that's um, deeply horrifying to me. Uh, I, I'm sure you're probably right, but I find that I find that sort of a, a worrisome concept, too, at the same time. I... I, I... Hmm. I think you may be misunderstanding what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I what I was saying was more not that it's was kind of the opposite. 
It's what? not it, the the problem is not that it's not good. The problem is that so many people hated it. Yeah, well, like 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 in a way, the quality didn't matter. Well, yes, but what you said was more the idea of the the lesson from it was like don't alienate those people unless you have good enough material to justify it. Yeah, but by that I more see. I I was being far more cynical than that, Jeff. <laughs> Oh, were you? Oh, that's, that's well, yeah, chilling. Cause, cause what I, no, because what I actually meant was mm-hmm. only alienate those people if you were confident that you were going to get more people to replace them. Yes. Right, right, right. Exactly. No, 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 no. So and I nothing, understand that. It's nothing to do with the quality of the, mm-hmm. of the work. Yeah, I, I suppose <laughs> that's true. nothing to do with the quality of the work. It's to do with, it's basically to do with piss off the fans if you think you're going to get more fans. Okay, so so in other words, you think that they misjudged before Watchmen in terms of they misjudged the number of before they Watchmen's casual fans rather yes, than the hardcore fans. They misjudged fans. the potential mm. of people who would be interested enough in reading a prequel to Watchmen. Well, but isn't that too soon to say for sure? Isn't isn't the proof of that really going to be in the trade editions where the majority of those people ostensibly are going to encounter the material? I think there would be more interest in it by this point. I don't know. I just I feel like before Watchmen, all of the interest in before Watchmen happened before the comics came out. Mm-hmm. I just feel that if there was some there, there there would be some other like someone at some point would have said something already. Yeah, maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, it seems to me that of course, um, you know, I I would just seem that it seems to me that the odds are kind of against it because. As you, as you, the way that you sort of frame this, it makes sense. Before Watchmen has to sort of, you know, gestate and hatch in an environment that is going to lo- be largely hostile toward it. You know what I mean? So it's going to be a very, I would think there would be a very cooling effect about before Watchmen, you know, in that sense, in the comics marketplace. I don't know if there's a lot of people, maybe if we were all jumping up and down and being like, oh my god, this is the most amazing thing. It turns out that Dr. Manhattan is actually uh, Silk Spectre's brother, or something like that, that, you know... Oh yeah, that happens. Oh, does it? Shit! <laughs> I thought that was just some crazy fanficker. Little did I know. Um... That, that fanficker was GMS. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> Here's the thing, if it wasn't for the fact that you, I think you would actually be made angry by these comics. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, you should read these comics because I think you would be fascinated by them. But I also, I think you'd be far more upset by them. I think I would be too. I mean, and that's sort of why part of me is like, I would like to check them out at some point. It's just, I, I'm not going to really do it in any sort of way that's, you know, apart from the most minor passive um, support granted by me checking out a library copy, I don't really think that that's you know, I'm going to be able to, to go farther than that, you know so, but you know, because there have been times, like I picked up the thing and looked at it, and I, you know, there is kind of that like, ugh, I love a good train wreck as next to, as much as the next person um, you know, in theory I could have sat there and gone in at every Wednesday or Thursday or something like that and, and sat down and, and read the whole issue or whatever issue came out um you know, and, hey, and here's, here's a question because mm-hmm. you talked about Trainwreck. Are you going to keep reading Age of Ultron? Well, I don't know. I mean, the great thing about my completely passive zone in which I float on is, is like, if someone sends the copy to me, like so far, I've had people send me the digital codes and I've read them. And so part of me is like, Meh, I'll keep reading it because there's a way in which I suppose, um, 
you know, I, uh, actually, after saying this, some listeners now send me the codes being like, and don't feel obligated to read this, which I really appreciate, you know, because before I was like, oh, people send me the codes. I got to read them. I got to read them, you know, but um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Age of Ultron just sort of seems like uh, <laughs> that church has already been defaced. You know what I mean? Like, that's like Marvel is just in this realm of like, I don't know. It's like a lapsed Catholic waiting to see which bastard becomes Pope. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I don't really care. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, before Watchmen was something that it's like, you know, again, we've got this, we, I have this weird dichotomy in, my, in myself where it's like, because I was so close to Marvel, it is actually really painful to see them do the stuff that they do. And so there is a level where the irony is like, on the weeks where I don't get into the shop, frequently the only books that I'm reading are Marvel comics because people are sending me the digital comics. And I find myself being like, you know, uh, entertained by how appallingly bad they are. You know, it's like kind of at that stage. Age of Ultron in particular is a book for me where I'm like, I sort of do want to read the next issue just because I expect it's going to be a turd fest and I sort of want to see how much more of a turd fest it gets to be <laughs> before the final issue rolls out. You know what I mean? So, because yeah. I guess there is, and that's that's the thing, for somebody who spent so long railing against um, Bendis's weaknesses, like Age of Ultron, especially since I don't have to pay for it, is a little bit like, you know, it's like getting a little Christmas present. Um, but, at, at you know, especially since I was somebody who was not especially done, thought Brian Hitch's work is dull. I'm like, hey, hey, this is great. It's just as bad as I thought it was going to be, even worse in some cases, you know? But, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm tempted. Yeah, I got to admit, I'm, I'm tempted to stick it out. Um, you know, I'm far more in sort of a hand-wringy place by the fact that I enjoyed issues two and three of Uncanny X-Men and I am enjoying uh, Bendis' all-new X-Men in a way, you know? I'm very much like, I like these. I don't necessarily, you know, and I'm a little I'm a little uncomfortable with that because it really does make me have this weird, these weird moments of like, oh, maybe I really misjudged this guy or like maybe I'm really coming at this wrong or I'm being just cynical and, you know, cruel, you know? And then you can read two issues of Age of Ultron and it's like, nope. You know, I mean, there's times when uh, Bendis has his shit together um, and there's times when he doesn't. And it just seems to me that those the ratio of that is so dramatically in favor of the time when he does not have his shit together uh, that that it's kind of curious to me to, to sort of see, you know, if that's going to change. Uh, you know, it's funny. I'm mentioning the digital comics. Somebody sent me the code to that point one issue of Guardians of the Galaxy and I still haven't gotten around to reading it. Did you read that? No, but I've heard many. I've heard many people be incredibly complimentary about it. Mm, right. Yeah. So, um, but as we said, I have very little interest in those characters in general, and it seems like it would be stacked against. Like all the odds would be stacked against me. Mm -hmm. It would be characters I'm not interested in, a writer I'm not interested in, and an artist I find overly fussy. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it would be, you know, it would have to be a really fucking amazing comic for me to like it. Right, I see. I see. Interesting. Um, like, I, 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 I feel it's unfair for me to be like, okay, I don't like this writer, don't like this artist, don't like this character. Let's see if I like this comic. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, 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 I feel that is kind of unfair. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I sort of, I do have those same moments. So there is kind of that level of when someone was like, oh yeah, you should read before Watchmen and give us a wrap up. I was kind of like, you know, I was kind of like, oh dude, I don't know. I, I want to be able to give you what you want out of that. But I mean, even if I, like if I had read it, you just wouldn't have heard anything but shrieking from me. I don't doubt. And, you know, considering Graham's not really much of a fan of the original material, um, it's, you know, I'm sort of like, I'm not sure... Like, I, I all but felt that whatever we were going to give that poor listener, they were not really going to get what they wanted out of it, so. <laughs> I tried, listener. I tried. You can tell. Graham tried I, I really, really hard. Did. Yeah. I read, I read, like, 30 fucking comics for you, so I did try. <laughs> wow. Well, at least they were very pretty there's comics. A, there's a lot of those comics, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it is it is kind of amazing that they just rolled them out and then... And then, yeah, they just sort of roll it up. DC does not seem like in a very good place, uh, I have to say. I mean, part of that is looking at the the numbers as analyzed by uh, uh, Mark Oliver Frisch. Um, did you read his recent column? Yes. Yeah, I did. Which which is great. The Whatever passive-aggressive battle he is locked in, I'm assuming with Heidi, it is becoming yeah, more I, that and more was, amazing that by the was day. Yeah, that was... Weird. Did you see me ask why didn't the last one run and the responses from the two of them? Uh, I think I did. I thought he saw. She said something like, "I didn't want to translate it from German or something." He said he said it didn't run because it was in German. That much was obvious. <laughs> and she was like, "I addressed that and gave a link." And her link was her being like, "It's not running this month." And I was like, this is the weirdest fucking thing. <laughs> what if you take the time to answer me with non-answers? Like, yeah. I am, I don't know what pissing matches two of you are involved in right now. I'm feeling very awkward. Yeah, yeah. I, that part I'm kind of digging. I mean, because I, 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 I suspect, although I could be wrong, that especially with this latest one, I feel like uh, Frisch is, by putting his name in at the beginning of every sentence... Um, it's to to. That, it was the weirdest thing, right? And then he gives stars, and then he yeah. That was that was like it was weird. Yeah, I, it, it's it's hilarious performance art, but also just I don't know what to make of it. Well, like I said, I'm making of it. I'm assuming the fact that he is, you know, I, I'm assuming a he gets flack from Heidi about writing it the in the tone in which he's writing it because people think. Basically, people are complaining to her as if she's writing it, I suppose. So I sort of assumed part of what he was doing was just saying at the beginning of each one, like, this is me. This is me. This This is not Heidi. Yeah, exactly. In each way. And the way he dressed it up was in um, as if he was giving a, 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 a movie review blurb for each book. And so that's why it's like. Well, I, th- gets I thought it, the like... stars thing. Mm-hmm. I thought the stars thing was a joke about the ridiculous uh, reviews that um, Scott Snyder comics have been getting. Oh yeah, see, I just sort I, of. Assumed, I oh, totally comics. read that in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just kind of thought that it was this idea of him being like, okay, look, you know, I'll do the column for you, and I'll, I'll here, I'm going to make it as. Um, uh, inoffensive as possible in in a completely utterly satiric way by making it look like each one is me giving the book between you know giving all the books I'm talking about between four and four and a half stars and my names in it so Heidi can't be attacked for it 
you know. And what was great was in the comments threads, we still had people who, you know, saying like, why does this, you know, why does this book lose 5% and it's like talked about as a condemnation of DC, whereas in the Marvel numbers, like it's 5% drop and it's a gentle adjustment. Like what's with this book, the site's anti-DC bias? And it's like, these are totally different people. Like, you know. Yeah, that that's the part that I always wish that people would realize. Yeah. Like, two people can have two different takes on exactly the same information. Exactly. Exactly. And and that that is, um, and that's entirely appropriate, I think. You know, Lord knows, I, I feel like it couldn't be more clear without them having to say that at the beginning of each uh, column, which I almost feel like they, they do anyway, so... Well, the fact that it's got a different byline. Oh, yeah, but apparently people don't catch on. I mean, that sort of, I'm not meaning to diss, like, we had someone who, in the comments, thanked you for recommending the uh, Avengers Assemble annual that I think I've recommended. And I was like, but, oh, yes, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, but, see, that almost makes more sense to me because it's an oral thing. Right, trying to match up who... It's not like we sound a lot alike, though. I feel like... And also, of... we do, but we don't really start off each episode being like, I'm Jeff Lester, I'm Graham McMillan, either, you know? <laughs> that if, is true. Yeah. If you if you approach, like, every episode, thinking that, for example, I am Jeff Lester... That's true. That's true. Uh, I was thinking that the other week. I was listening to House of Astonish, and I was like, they have such a great introduction. Like, mm-hmm. they are so professional. Yes. They totally am like, this is my name this is what we're going to talk about this week. Yeah. And then like, here's the news and then we'll do reviews. Mm-hmm. Like it's so professional. And we're just like, Oh, let's make each other laugh. Hey, guess what? <laughs> I was shitting up a storm. I know. Uh-huh. And then it's 10 I minutes talk- about the shitting. I know. Yeah, I believe I me. I know. I'm well aware. I am well aware. my friend. I, I, I can't work out that as part of our charm or just some shoddiness that our listeners have started putting up with. I, I a, a little from column A and probably a lot from column B. So listen, speaking of shoddy, um, this call has dropped in or out a couple of times, which you've yeah, been kind sure, of like... Should we, should we try and call back? Yeah, I think so. Let's do that. Um, reboot both our, our, our pooters and see if we have like slightly better luck for round two. Testing, testing, testing. It yep. works. It does. It does. It lives again. Yes, uh, exactly. We'll, we'll see if that is the case. Yes. So, speaking of tech problems, uh, yes. I, I wanted to talk about Marvel 700 and Comixology, although have you like already written for it about it I, in like, I, nine I, different I places? I haven't, weirdly enough. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because uh, I, I found it like incredibly fascinating and of course uh in this in uh, my ongoing quest to um mortify myself uh and entertain you and whoever might be listening i have to totally confess that, that i went from like oh 
well, the great thing is is that I don't have to worry about this kind of thing to like, well, it is free, so maybe I should at least see what they have. Jeff Lester. Yeah, I know. It was bad. Your boycott is hilarious. My... Your, boy... Your boycott isn't even a boycott anymore. Your boycott is, do I have to pay for it? Not going to do that. No, that is not true. That is not true. My boycott was, well, I guess that was always my boycott. But, I mean, you know, it's like, so before it was like. In what way is that not your boycott? It's not that makes it sound like I'm not going to pay for it, but that I actively seek it out. And I think that is the big difference for me. Like the difference is like I would say that if you saw me every, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday tweeting like, Hey, so it's new comics day and some of you guys must have gotten you know, three ninety nine Marvel codes. Anyone wanna hook a brother up? You know, kind of thing. I think that, that would be something that's quite different. hilarious. You know? Hey guys, have you bought Marvel Comics this week? And you don't—you're not doing anything with those codes. <laughs> DM here's, me. Here's my email. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think that that to me is, and that's why I actually felt really uncomfortable about going and looking at the at the 700 Marvel books. Is, is that it was very much like, ah, uh, see, this is completely different from what I'm doing. Like sitting here and having someone lend me a comic is one thing. It's, it's you know. Going and picking up freebie material from them is another. But let's face it, that is something that you've uh, encouraged me to do in the past, Graham, during this boycott. <laughs> Don't listen to me. I have the morals of Satan. <laughs> well, uh, I happen to have the willpower of... I don't know whatever the opposite of a green lantern would be i went i went to the website and was like holy shit really struck by some of the stuff that they had i, I, did, I didn't even get to the website <laughs> oh was it just down the whole time for you yes yes yeah, i actually went see i was like oh i guess it's just dead yeah 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 whereas for me it was not it was not dead enough because i was i was working the day job so i saw the news about it so it was late but it was still enough time for me to get to the site, and even though it was a complete disastrous nightmare, I was like, oh, hey, they got this and this and this. I mean, it really was a stunning, uh, as, as I think you, I'm sure you've seen covered elsewhere, just kind of a stunning assortment of stuff in that 700. I mean, because of the way, it's like anything, just about anything that had a number one was thrown into the promotion, you know, and so therefore some of the interlinked one shots like I think the five weapons one shots like all of those because they're all issue number one were like there or like all of some of the bigger events like with you could read like something crazy like it seemed like 90% of the Shadowland crossover if that's that that that's your bag um, for me it was just more like little things like oh sweet Jesus like that like things that I wanted like a pure digital copy of like um, Silver Surfer Parable or the Thanos Quest or just a small number of books and then I was kind of like because they threw in all of the Marvel number one the Marvel Now books they had the two ninety nine books that people that you've never read yeah yeah have, I haven't read and the people were like I would send this to you if I had the code but I, there's no code for it you know and I'm like well at this point Again, it being free, it's like I could actually read the first issue of FF or Fantastic Four or Hawkeye or even some of the other stuff that, whether I've heard good things about it or bad things about it, and be kind of up to speed in a way that felt, you know, again, quote-unquote legit, you know. Um, and uh, so I, I, so how do I put this? I'm trying not trying to defend my actions 
as of that day. I just want to defend my actions up to that day because I think otherwise it sort of takes away a little bit of the uh, requiem for a dreamlike pathos that became me becoming obsessed with like getting you know the 15 books that I decided I you know sh- should get into um the checkout basket and get the fuck out of the website and it never worked it crashed up on me that's the sad part if it just happened once and I've been like all like well see so there you go Jeff there's a lesson that you've learned which is you know once you got something you should really stick to it and this is God's way of telling you you have to continue to rely on the kindness of strangers and instead I took it as oh God's telling me that I should try doing this with my iPhone instead of directly through <laughs> The website. God's telling me that I should really do it through the Marvel app. Yeah, uh, st- right, dude. If you only knew the stupid amounts of like different the different angles I came at it. It was like ah, uh, it's it's like the moron meth version of Ocean's Eleven, except they're like comic books at stake. I'm like, oh, I'm being so brilliant now. I'm going to create an alter ego ID. You know, absolute bullshit. So, um, so this the. the so I, I have a question for you. Sure. You're obviously like all for this, right? Am I the only person who was underwhelmed that they did it for three days? Oh yeah. Okay. There's a couple of there's a whole bunch of things uh, for me. One is by doing it for three days, that to me suggests that 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 what happened, which is that there was a pile on on the Comicsology servers, there was a total meltdown, and then Marvel got you know headlines out of it is is to me convinced that that was ultimately what they wanted like really oh yeah i don't think that they you don't you don't think the story is bad for marvel because it means that no one got their comics no 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 i think i think the story because what happens is they're you know marvel's the master of blaming the other person Oh god, they really are. They're still calling uh, Comicsology our technology partner, which every single time I see that makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you know, when when people don't get books, Marvel's really good at blaming the retailers for not ordering enough. Like if people can't like go on a site and download their stuff, they're like I don't know what to tell you guys. You know, it's like we we told the Comicsology people that this was coming. So but yeah, no, the three days thing, I mean, I suppose it's quite possible that they literally did not think that they were going to get the size of the traffic that they were going to. And that was the case all the way across the board. But frankly, I think that Marvel was like, hey, we win either way. You know, it's like, and I think their way of winning is, is like, we're going to get headlines and then we're going to get more headlines. And that's really what it's all about for a free promotion, you know. Now, I could be wrong about that. You know, Todd Allen uh, wrote a story over for, uh, God, where was Publishers it? Publishers Weekly? Uh, you know, it was not. I want to say it was at, uh, you write it, you write it, is it Digital Age? or Digital, it, digital Trends. Yeah, he digital did. Trends. He wrote a piece for Digital Trends, I think. Yeah, so he wrote a piece for Digital Trends where he actually talked to, uh, quote, asked me some questions about it because Hibbs had mentioned to him that, uh, uh, you know, that, that would not send me um, downloads. Uh, and so he's... Oh no! Wait, he wrote that for the next web. It's the next web. Sorry. There you next, go. Thank next you. Nextweb.com. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I will. I will have the link in the show notes, everybody, if you want to check that out. But uh, in fact, I think I might have had the link in the last show notes too, which shows you just how sad I am. But um, uh, yeah, so you know, Marvel has been remarkably blasé about people distributing their digital codes. They 
do not really seem to care you know and there have been of course actual outreach things like what Dan Slott did with the final issue of Amazing Spider-Man where he was retweeting people who were sharing their digital codes so that other people could read it which I thought was great so there may be a way in which Marvel is has a cannier sense of digital outreach and they really were like hey yeah no let's put all these issues out um for like a long time, you know, for enough time for everybody to sample them and see what the results are. How many people do we see that get hooked off of it? How many people do we see um, coming back for things? I would be inclined to believe that until I saw the 700 books there. And then it just sort of looked like a crazy pylon. You know what I mean? Like, the thing that's hilarious is, is like, you go to a section there that was like... Captain America, you know, because they had him separated out, like the Marvel Dows, and then they had Iron Man, and, you know, the various big characters that are the current draws these days, Thor. So Captain America has 97 million issue number ones under there. You well, know? I mean, Captain, isn't Captain America the series on something stupid like Volume 7? Yeah, yeah, so, like, you get all these various, I mean, I don't, at least Volume 7, I mean, who knows how they get, they had... I think they might have even had the Heroes Reborn cap, but they, it went on and on and on. And looking at that, I mean, it kind of ties into what we were talking about before the break, is for me, like anyone who is at all interested in in these characters and finds out the news from either being at South by Southwest or reading about the coverage in, I don't know, USA Today or something, and picks up their, their you know, tablet or phablet or whatever it is and, and goes to the site and starts looking it seems like a lunatic you know it's all it's it's rough isn't it you're like hey so i'm gonna go pick up the first issue guys in america oh yeah exactly like maybe if you're lucky you know that marvel now is the thing and you can just pick up that marvel but if you dip anywhere underneath it like every level like marvel layered in so much stuff that it is actually the opposite of being inviting uh to to new readers you know, it just looks like, you know, I, and it looks it looks like what it is, which is, you know, a, a discount orgy of, of used crap goods, you know, and I, I just ugh. so. And of course, the only thing more appalling to that than for me were than the people who were like, oh, yeah, I got all 700 books. You know what I mean? I'm like, what would you want with 700 books? You know, like just for me, I'm like. I went, I, you know, totally hoard myself out and forgot my, my ethics and my morals, and I still had to work hard to get, like, 20 books in there, which is, you know, on the one hand, 20 free comics, that's a lot of comics. Compared to the 700 being offered, you know, it's just such a minuscule little drop in the bucket. Um, and people were like, oh, yeah, I just found the trick is you just gift all like you're gifting them and then you're gifting them to your, you know, yourself or you just they all go in your basket and then you just go to checkout and you just keep doing that until you have all 700, you know, comics. And I'm like, oh, and that's that was the first time I actually had a regret about the the drawback of digital comics is they cannot catch on fire and burn down your apartment around somebody like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want you to get a very specific computer virus that will only destroy your digital comics while you try and read them. Also, and your apartment catches on fire. So, yeah, basically, that's what I want. I want the Ultron virus that affects people's toasters and your digital comics collection. So, yeah, it's so bad. 
and by bad, I mean, I'm just thinking back to that Age of Ultron. I'm like, so the whole bullshit is, is that it's like, it's like that bad TV show, Revolution, where tech doesn't work because, you know, tech doesn't work because, you know, tech doesn't because work. Because tech doesn't work, yeah, it just, move on, Jeff. Yeah, and people are work, like, okay? are you saying, like, physics? Like, are you saying, like, I, like pulleys? Pulleys don't work? What's your definition <laughs> of tech? Like, fire? Does tech, fire work? Jeff. Tech, tech. Does it require, does it require a button? Right, exactly. Anything with a button, it's not going to do anything, my friend. That's the problem. It's an invasion of anti-buttonitis, people. Oh, which reminds me, I have to start talking about the Hulk with you at some point. And we have to keep this episode incredibly wait, on time. Wait, 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 wait. We do? Okay, well, that means we have like half an hour and then we have to stop. Okay, get to the Hulk then. Okay, so the Hulk. I think I might have mentioned, and this is where, once again, I'm going to fail you and everybody by not getting the name right, but uh, Jason on Tumblr, he... Sorry, on Twitter, he's Jason1749, and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he has a Tumblr called FF365, which I think is the... Yes most genius idea for a Tumblr ever, considering I think, as I recall, he and Matt Springer and a few others were the dudes who turned me on to uh, getting the Marvel books on DVD-ROM through GIT Core. It totally makes sense to me what they're doing, which is basically you've got 360, you've got over, you've got 600 issues of Fantastic Four, just go read an issue a day, pull a panel from it, and throw it up there. And I think that, of course, is genius. Um, in the middle of that, I was um, thinking, like, somewhere in the dead of night about two weeks ago, I woke up and realized, like, what a, kind of what a profoundly brilliant character uh, the Hulk is. And and the next day, I was like, oh, man, I would love to do Hulk 365. So, I haven't... So, why don't you? Well, the answer being I'm sort of lazy and overcommitted, but I might, but in... So, I basically have been reading an issue of The Hulk every day for the last... Actually, I guess it's the last week, but I'm a little ahead, because I'm like three issues into the Tales to Astonish run from 1964. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think... What was my reference? Oh, yeah, Sloppy Tech is... It's the two. The only thing, first off, the only thing more hilarious than watching Stanley write the Hulk is watching Stanley write Giant Man when you read Tales to Astonish, because <laughs> the the three Giant Man stories that I've read have been amazingly shit, um, and, and kind of like this, like huge to me. I'm sort of like, uh, interestingly enough, kind of a, a, a an exemplar of Stanley at sort of. Like, what would Stan Lee be without Ditko and Kirby? And literally, in the Hulk, he has, when he doesn't have Kirby, he brings in Ditko. And in fact, there's a glorious, the second issue of the Hulk is Kirby inked by Ditko, which somebody asked us about on our our Q&A from, you know, four or five months ago, which I'm just realizing now, we have yet to wrap up. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I know. Let's let's not think about that. (laughs) That's just going to torture you, Graham. Um... We will get back and answer that. We'll have to pick a day, like like an April Fool's Day or something like that, and just answer all those. Anyway, uh, Ditko inking Kirby is beautiful, but it's the second issue of the Hulk where it's like the Toad Men, you know, where it's like the Toad Men are these like invaders. It's amazing how much like Stanley, when Kirby's not around, it's either uh, well, if he's got Ditko to save his ass, it's robots. Um, Kirby's standby is uh, invaders, of course. Um, 
but when they don't have either of them, Stan Lee goes right to gorillas. Like, I'm stunned. <laughs> the first Giant Man story that I read, because it's the first issue uh, tied in with the first the first issue of uh, Hulk and Tales to Astonish, uh, the, the ha- first half of the issue is Giant Man, and it's drawn by, oh, I want to say Dick Ayers, but it's like all Stan Lee's story. And as you may recall, Giant Man's got Hank Pym's got one of these like weirdo like origin stories where his like he had a first wife named Maria who's like turned out to be she, she ended up getting kidnapped by red spies because she had been she was like Hungarian and had been a uh, an actual uh, spy that, that had helped the U.S. Do you remember any of this stuff? Yes, and okay. it was so I, like I remember it for Engelhart bringing it back. If yes, that makes sense. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. Engelhart brought it back in God. Yeah, uh, I think West, West Coast, Coast Avengers? Avengers. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, that's right. And you're just like, what? Well, anyway, yeah, what the fuck is all of this? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So there is a guy who's like a, a an FBI secret agent or something like that, and who was helping Hank try and track down Maria and he sends a message to Giant Man saying like I need you I'm captured behind enemy lines and so Giant Man breaks into East Berlin because this guy he's like this guy you know and tells the wasp she has to stay home because it's like this could be about Maria but more importantly he suggests that the Reds have formed a super weapon that could take over the world so what's amazing is this super weapon, and again, I have to stress, this is just Stan Lee. This is for everyone who's like, Stan Lee is awesome, <laughs> and I admit that Stan Lee this has This is just what charms. happens when Stan Lee's alone. When Stan Lee is alone, the world's most terrifying secret weapon that could bring the world to its knees is a ray gun that gives gorillas human intelligence. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Ah, uh, hey, listeners, because we should say this now. Uh, Jeff and I have just had like 20 minutes of Skype or our computers or something. Yeah. Being really weird. Yeah. Uh, and so you may have heard us 20 minutes ago our time and like a minute ago your time be like, we have a hard stop. And then we literally bumped straight into the hard stop. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have to let me at least A, apologize to you, the listeners, uh, and B, I'm going to finish up my point about Giant Man so I don't have to trim the rest of that out and get back to my point about the Hulk and then have Graham, like, make a beautiful telling point that I was hoping would show insight into so much of the scattered uh, jetsam of of my existence. No pressure. No. Yeah. Well, you've got time. Just listen carefully. So, anyway, Stan Lee, left to his own devices, communist gorillas that are given the intelligence of human beings and therefore know how to wrestle in, like, red flag shorts. And then, in order to stop them, Giant Man, because he's a scientist, turns the ray on human beings. And, of course, the human beings then turn back into gorillas. So he turns all the communists into apes who all jump about looking for bananas. Then, while the gorillas are distracted, he grabs his friend and, and... in, a, in the one thing that is kind of awesome, grows to giant size and crashes through the Berlin Wall in order to get back to America. Um, and I, I love how you say that's the one thing that sounds awesome. Jeff, everything about that story sounds awesome. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm sort of like, yeah, I, you know, there's a way in which I'm like, it's a Bob Haney story, which it pretty much is. Um, it is kind of awesome, but I really do. This is my thing is, is like Stanley, like a lot of people are very split 
and you know about like well I don't see what the problem is and I I get that it is a very hard way in a way to make the case for Kirby and Ditko in a way that is not you know and I'm not saying by all means that Stanley should have made less money it's just to me it's like if you really want to see where so much of the genius of Marvel Comics comes from a it really is a blend but B, how do I put it? It's like one of those blends where, like, um, I see neither of us drink alcohol, so you can't really help me with this. But it's like it's like a gin and tonic in which Stan Lee is just kind of tonic. You know what I mean? Like important and necessary, but kind of really diluted. Uh, and when I say necessary, just three issues later, he's there's a giant man story that's written and drawn uh sorry is drawn by uh Carl Bur- Burgos who d- created the original human torch and it yeah. is a mess and in fact in between there is there's a an issue that is a giant man story that is drawn by Steve Ditko that is probably giant man fighting a robot i can't really think and in the letters page stan lee basically says we had an artist who was like a golden age artist who was drawn, going to draw this issue, and we we're all excited about it, but then the things didn't work out. And so Steve Ditko and George Bell literally drew this, drew this giant man story in like 20 days or two weeks or something, and we are grateful to them beyond all words, right? So then when Carl Burgess's story does come out of giant man basically fighting evil giant man and a giant plant, it is a spectacular wreck. And Stan Lee, you watch Stan Lee work triple time to literally explain what's happening from panel to panel because he doesn't think that Burgess is doing at all anything approaching a sensible job to actually make that happen. So it is fascinating, like, like even as I diss Stan Lee, watching him work double time to make a story that doesn't work, almost work, you realize that... that um, even though he's not a genius, he has a very, very, very good sense of what may, how to tell, basically how to tell a comic story and when it's not working. Like he knows he can't draw himself, but he has a very uh, deeply innate understanding of visual continuity by that point in his career to the point where he was just like, these scene transitions make no sense. And they really don't. The story is pretty, pretty heavily hackneyed. Um, and that's after Stan's managed to change things up. So the Hulk, I've managed to make it like eight issues in. And what is fascinating about the Hulk is is that the premise of the book has changed about four times in the course of like nine issues. So what I was hoping back before Skype came in and took its due was to talk to you a little bit about how much Marvel, like how long it can take for characters to actually click you know and and kind of of course in the marketplace now you have books that are launching that everyone is are basically like well that's dead in the water you know yeah it's it's weird because back in the day quote unquote you really did have time to go through a couple of concepts mm-hmm. like it, it, i've said this to you before but for me the greatest example is, is the teen titans mm-hmm. which if you read the 
first and second showcase volumes of the Teen Titans, the original Teen Titans, you see them just throwing shit out there on yeah. a regular, like on occasionally on a month to month basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's the new status quo. And it's this issue. Never mind that status quo. It didn't quite work. Here's the new status quo month after that. Here's the new, new status quo. Cause that status quo wasn't quite there either. Right. And it's amazing because these days you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you tried, you would be crucified mm-hmm. by the internet. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and I have to say, I don't think that it necessarily did either of those books any favors. Like, admittedly, they would be crucified by the internet, but generally, as a rule of thumb, like, if you're rewriting your status quo every issue, you're in big trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in fact, the Hulk had a very long, troubled publication history until it finally kind of hit its groove. And the thing that I think is interesting about the Hulk is looking at the way in which uh, you have to embrace the shifting status quo in order to make the Hulk work almost, you know. So I was going to basically go on and talk about, because it's weird, like reading those first six issues, I'm like, oh, here's stuff that kind of reminds me of things that would pop up in Greg Pax Runner. Oh, here's something that where Dave, Peter David took an idea and ran with it, you know. Well, well, that's just it. I mean, one of the reasons that the Hulk has, to his benefit and his detriment, been recreated so many times, mm-hmm. is that there's no core Hulk to go back to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that if you're like, okay, let's go back to the original Hulk. Yeah. That's nothing like the characters that people think of when they think of the Hulk. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, you're really caught in this conundrum. But I have to say, a couple of these issues, there's one issue, there's the point where um, there, there's just some amazing stuff in there. You know, there's a, there's a period where, like, Banner is able to control how he turns into the Hulk. Well, okay, first there's the, the one issue that they throw out where, like, he gets bombarded with all this crazy gamma radiation and then Rick Jones controls the Hulk. Like Rick Jones, like the Hulk is this wild, unthinking beast, and then Rick Jones is the only one who can control him. But Rick Jones can only, essentially, the Hulk only behaves while Rick Jones is awake. Jeff Lester, I hate technology. Let that just be known. <laughs> are, are you recording this call? Yeah, I am, because I thought maybe we could actually clo- get closure. <laughs> yeah, I. I know it's terrible. Listeners, this is me on the phone because it seems that my computer is not playing with Jeff today or something. (laughs) Yeah, at all. It seems that our computers hate each other, and I don't understand why. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, basically, this is what happened. Last week, I was horribly sick, and we couldn't do a podcast. This week, our computers are horribly sick. Yeah. So, our podcast ended up being like half an hour shorter than it should have been. Exactly. Jack was making a really good point about the Hulk as well, and I didn't even hear it. But hopefully he'll include it. Uh, I'll include what I can, but uh, I think we should cut our losses uh, as they are. And um... Yeah, I, I think we should. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> saddest bye. <laughs> the saddest bye ever. <laughs>